Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews. We did it, we did it together, and uh, it's just so exciting for me to just be a part of this with them, with all the 11 other players. It's truly an experience that I will cherish forever. Taking you beyond the ropes. Whatever you think is possible for you, or, or even what's not possible, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, go for it. You know, just go for it and think big and believe in yourself and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. Unforgettable stories. He's hit some putts with it, so he gets his phone out and he just takes a picture of the grip and down the putter and doesn't say anything and he just pings it to Tiger. And of course, Tiger pinged him right back like, what in the hell are you doing with my putter? Do not <laughs> touch that putter. <laughs> a bridge to the past. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose it's just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. December 31st, 2019, saying goodbye. Now, what's interesting is it's saying goodbye not only to 2019, but it's saying goodbye to this decade. That slipped right past you. All of us. And so, yeah, there's a lot. I don't know what what you guys are doing for New Year's Eve, if you take New Year's Day off or what have you. But, yeah, it's a it's a big celebration. Right before we were going on the air, Dom, you are talking about the fact that one of the things that's cool about golf is it's got these restarts. Sure, we got the January 1 restart and the Century Tournament Champions. But you've got everything to look forward to in the year. But then once you get into the year, I think with oh, every week, obviously, there's a new restart. But I'm talking about the big restarts of a season, like a major is a restart. The Ryder Cup is is a restart. There's such huge singular events that they stand alone and distinctive from everything else. And, and whoever wins those set events, it doesn't even matter what they did the rest of the year. It it becomes as successful. It's just it, it I, I agree with you, Dom. It's one of the things that makes golf so unique. I cannot believe we I don't know we this might be our thirteenth or fourteenth year. I don't know what year because Matt and I've been doing this forever. Seven. And I, and I mean, you know, when I started doing this show, Matt, I wasn't married. I had no this kids. Will, this will be, yeah, this will be, uh, the show started in 07. And I started, I started working when, when this program first started, I was hired. No, in it was 06. 06, I think. That's right. And then. I started doing the show with you, I think, end of 2007, right? Or was it 2008? I think it was 2007. This will be this – this year will be the start of the – because it started at the end of 06. So if you really put it to the actual date, this would, this would be our 14th year. But if you went by calendar years, it would be the 15th. That's just extraordinary. But anyway, what, what I was getting at is we, for as long as we've been doing this – I think most people in most jobs, if you want to call this a job, which it's not, by the way, <laughs> but most people in most jobs, when they get up every day, they do the same thing. It gets a little monotonous. And after five or six years, I don't know what the average turnover is for a person's job, but most About, people... It's just over three years. There you go. Side. And so I think they get bored or they're, they don't get excited. They don't, you know, they're looking for change. But because 
you mentioned like the restarts with golf and the constant flowing of storylines because names we've never heard of pop up like Colin Morikawa and then they become this huge storyline and we follow that storyline and then storylines like Spieth pop up and then all of a sudden he disappears and he goes away and then he maybe he pops up again and so it's so there's so much excitement especially at the beginning of each new year and that's yeah. what I was telling Matt before we go on the year. Like, I can't believe how I'm still so jacked up for the golf season this year between the Ryder Cup and the Olympics. The Olympics is a really, really interesting and cool storyline that I'm looking forward to following this year. You've got the majors, the players, all the venues are going to be at this year. And I absolutely cannot think of another time in history when you've got such quality of golf coming from an elder group of statesmen and yeah. from a Tiger group of guys in their early yesterday. 20s that are really, really good golfers. That, I mean, it's crazy. The, the, the spectrum of excellence on the tour is, I, I don't, I mean, you always when talk you about the golden the age of golf. But I mean, the all-time greats, right? Look at whoever, however you define the all-time greats, whether you, whether you define it as Jack Nicklaus with 18 majors and Tiger with 15 or Tiger with tying Sam Snead and look in fairness the the quality of the victories by Tiger Woods as compared to the quality of the victories by Sam Snead Tigers are better period full stop they just are it doesn't take away from Sam Snead being incredible but when you take a look at the greats of the game including Sam Snead and in, in, in Arnold Palmer's voice you hear or whoever uh, Tom Watson just I, I mean you could you could literally go down the list of major championships won Right. But somehow, if you if you combine those lists with other wins, for example, like Jack Nicklaus with those 18 majors is 73 PGA Tour wins. Tiger has 82 right now with 15 and seemingly more wins coming, whether they'll be of a major variety or not. We don't know yet. But what I am getting at is the we don't know part that how glorious is it that we are at a stage right now that we're all getting the opportunity the rare opportunity, though, I think it is, that we're still watching one of the greatest ever. He's going to always be one of the greatest ever, if not the, to play the game of golf. And he's still playing and he's still competing. And that's against the backdrop of everything else that's going on in the game and all the great play and, and the, the seemingly parody. I know sometimes you use the word parody in sports and people look at it as something with disdain. I don't. I've always said to you on this program over all these years that I love the fact that week in and week out, we really don't know who's going to win on the PGA Tour. And if you look at what's going on at the Century Tournament of Champions this week, if you look at, for example, which which kind of defines success so far in this portion of the PGA Tour schedule, because remember, it's the wraparound schedule, as you well know. It wrapped up in August here with the Tour Championship, and then it kicks off a couple weeks later. It kicks off the season that is 2019-2020. I'm just going to give you the names right now, the top, say, 10 on FedEx Cup points. You'll hear a couple of names. You'll be like, oh, yeah, of course, but not as many as you think, and this is what I mean. Number one, and let me, I'll go backwards. I'll go from 10. Uh, FedEx Cup points, 10th in FedEx Cup points, Deki Matsuyama. Nine, Cameron Champ. Ten, Joaquin Neiman. Seven, Sunjay M. Six, he's FedEx Cup, current FedEx Cup points. Six, Kevin Na. Five and four, respectively, Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy. Okay. But you'd think they'd be higher than that because of their, because of their name recognition, right? The branding. But no, no, no. It's, this is earned. Three, so far. Three, Lento Grifton. Two, Sebastian Munoz. One, Brendan Todd. 
Right. So is, is that alone is a picture of what's going on in golf right now, where the the winds are coming from wherever, however. And then, as Dom's noting in this kind of renewal, what was that, Dom, about a stat? I was just saying, as you were talking there, I was looking up a stat to kind of support what we're talking about a little bit. That I can share with you if you want. If you want to finish your yeah, thought, yeah. that's fine. No, no, go ahead. I want to hear the stat. So... The a stat that I look at occasionally I think is fascinating is just the general scoring average on tour. Uh, so if you look at uh, this past, I mean, again, it's sort of like you said, it's a wraparound season. But in 2019, okay, the scoring average between the best player, number one, and the player who's like 115th, 120th on tour is literally about roughly two shots. That's the difference between the top 100 players on tour right now. Two shots, a lip out on the ninth hole. That's the difference between the best player in the world right now and the person who's 100th. In 1980, which is as far back as that stat is kept, at least right now that I can find, in 1980, the difference in shots is almost three and a half shots between that, wow. that, uh, that group there. Like 120th on tour to is the almost field. 73. That was almost the tour average when you're, if you were like 120th on tour in 1980, scoring average was around 73. Now, when you say two shots, are you talking aggregate for a tournament, like half a shot around, or are you talking per round scoring average? Uh, I believe it's per round. So, for example, in 1980, the scoring average leader was Lee Trevino, 69.7. So and the interesting thing is, is my guess is, I don't remember it exactly, but I believe the scoring average leader last year, if I'm not mistaken, it was Rory McIlroy at 68 and change, correct? Uh, stand by and I'll confirm that for you. He the was 69. I'm... He was 69.1. Okay, 69. So we're right. We're in, in Lee was what? Lee was a little, uh, well, a little worse, a little higher than that, like 69.7, I think is what Lee Trevino was. So Seven tenths. Correct. So what I'm saying is that that alone is amazing that and this goes this goes to that argument that you always have the the era when Lee Trevino played is a time when I call and I roughly define it from 1962 Jack Nicklaus winning the the Open at Oakmont to 1986 in which he won the the Masters and you don't have to go as far as 1986 because he had some lean years in there too and then a lot of the the legends of the period I'm about to discuss had already been either were in their decline or started to win less or what have you even Lee Trevino what 84 well, this is interesting but what what I what I was saying is that's a time when Giants roamed. And I believe that the players at the top, it was a bar fight. And this, even in terms of numbers, and I don't think we're stretching too much, Don, what it shows you is that, okay, well, you're looking at equivalent, near equivalent scoring proficiency, right? Well, However, if, 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 it if, wasn't as deep. Not even close. If I'm looking right now, like in 1980, as mentioned, Lee Trevino was the leader. Tom Watson was 69.95. He was second. Two players. Only two players averaged under 70 scoring average per round on the PGA Tour. And again, aggregate over the course of the entire season in 1980. And I looked, I just quickly looked at the next five or six years. And I think I only saw one year where someone was even under 70 again. The, 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 the leader on the tour in the early 80s looked like was right around 70 with their scoring average. Now, listen to this. Last year, this was the scoring average on tour. I'm looking down at 15, 16 players 
on the PGA Tour last year averaged a scoring average under 70. Mm. Under 70. Wow. So that's a a unbelievable difference when you're talking about, like like you said, there's depth of field. But again, what I think is interesting is the the difference between the guy who's 120 on tour and the guy who's 120 on tour in 1975. I think that truly speaks to the depth of the field, doesn't it? When you're talking about right the now, guy that, that guy was is 120 on tour. Yeah, the guy the guy that was 120 on tour in 1975. What was that scoring average? Uh, hold on a second. Well, I, I can't go all the way back to 75, but hold on a second. Like, I'm quickly... I'm just trying to figure, when you gave us Lee Chivino... 1981 you know, it, it, was 72.7. That's almost and, a full who, three shots behind Trevino. Three-shot wow. difference. Now, again, I, this is... <laughs> I had this conversation, actually, over the holiday with some family members... Because I think the average, even the average golf fan... Well, they must have thought you had too much eggnog if you well, had no, this the average, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you where I was going. The, you I, know that Lee Chivino was <laughs> a three-shot differential. No, I was just saying, the, I, I even think sometimes the average golf fan doesn't realize You how, must have people at the table saying, can't we talk about politics? No, trust me, that would have been much worse. <laughs> where I was? No. So the, the difference... Between the best golfer in the world and the 120th golfer in the world who nobody knows, I think even the average golf fan doesn't realize how good that 120th golfer is. I mean, I I can go down this list and pick a player on the PGA Tour that 90% of our audience has never heard of, and they're a shot and a half worse than like Brooks Kepka. That's nothing. That's really not a lot. That's how good and deep it is. I mean, it, it's, it's a bad break here, a bad break there. You know, fix the, that's why they're always working on their wedges. They just want to get two feet closer with their wedges from 100 yards and in. That's the difference. That's you know, how it's good amazing. they all are. It, we were having a conversation last night. We, we had a dinner party at, uh, you remember, obviously, Dom's a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, John Burkett, who's a producer now of mine John. at the Morning Drive at Golf Channel. And J- Dom worked with him. He worked for you, didn't he, at, at, at uh, Sirius? Back in the day? He did when was I was managing the channel. I, we'd have to ask John. I don't think I hired him. Maybe I don't think I hired him. I think he was brought on and then I was managing him. But we'd have to ask him. I can't remember. Well, he's he's done very well for himself. He's one of the producers of his morning drive. Anyway, he had dinner at his house last night. and We were there. It was just a small gathering. There was a, a, a gent there who I never said to him I was going to say his name on the air, so I won't. But he's a very, he's a very accomplished golfer. He's an amateur golfer. And last time they went out and played, whatever course it was, I think it was called Orange Tree in Orlando, which I've never seen or played. But but there's a lot. It's a, it's a player's course. It's a private course, but it's got it's 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 uh, humble and and I've heard very good things about it. But it's a player's golf course. So when you when you go there, there's a lot of super good players that are members. And they, they seek each other out in that kind of a setting. And the greens are supposed to be spectacular. So, again, I've never seen the place. But what he told me was there's a lot of movement off the tee, right? The holes are shaped one way, shaped the other way. And John said, well, yeah, Trey was a college oh, – I just went and said his first name uh, – college golfer. Uh, he, he, he went out there and shot a 64. Ho-hum. Right? And we had a really interesting conversation where – Here's a guy that was who is a very accomplished player who who played at the highest tiers collegiately, uh, continues to to play in qualifiers for U.S. Open and things like that. That kind of player, right? Uh, I think he's thirty years old, and 
shoots a 64 in a, in a casual round uh, with, with the buddy and kind of shrugs his shoulders at like, yeah, okay, I did it. it you know, it, it's not like I'm, I'm ready for the PGA Tour. And we both kind of chuckled a little bit about that conversation because I've always gotten a kick out of the fact of the people that go out and, and he, he's the one that initiated this conversation. You shoot a 64 uh, in a casual round or, you, you know, you do well at your club, you're, you're a plus one or you're a zero or uh, a one handicap or what have you. Great, great golfer, and you stand out amongst your peers in that grouping. But the difference between where that player is and the best players of the world, it's it's contrary to, and I know sometimes people get put off by the, the best players because they're going to puff their chests out as, as though they're one, you know, if they didn't have a job to do, they're one bucket away from making it on tour. And this guy was just was saying specifically, not even close. He said, you know, as, as good as I was in playing collegiately at the top tier, and I played against a lot of these people that are that are out on tour, there is something different about the ability level that they have. There is an element just like in professional sports where talent, just this God-given talent comes into play in terms of what you do and what you're capable of doing. And it's funny because even sometimes in, in golf media, you'll have somebody that's a, you know, a scratch amateur golfer and they talk as though, you know, they, they could be on tour if they wanted to be. You're you're closer to the eight handicap than you are to tour players. The guy that you scoff at, that's an eight. It's it's just it's very interesting to me how that how that dynamic goes. And I'm mentioning this because of the conversation we had last night and also because of the fact that it helps us appreciate more the level of talent and ability that we, as part of our job here, get a chance to celebrate. And that reminds me the second half of the conversation we have with this guy. Dominic goes back to what you were saying before about this kind of the renewal and the excitement and, and the fact that, well, this is our job. And then you go, this is not a job. And so I always get asked the same thing when I'm at parties and gatherings. They're always like, so what time do you get up to have to do what you do? So they're like, you're seven days a week, right, between this show and the and morning drive. And I'm like, yeah, what? Like what time? And I said, Nor- normal Monday through Friday. I pr- I usually wake up around four, study, make sure we're ready for the show. Maybe have a cup of coffee, relax, whatever. Dom usually we usually connect between six thirty and seven, and he's already sent me a rundown. And so anyway, it's not it, what I'm saying is it, it's it's not a, a lot of heavy lifting in, in fairness, in, in all honesty. And then the morning drive's different because that's usually like a. 2.30 to 3.30 wake-up call, depending on what time we're going on in a year. Like this weekend, we're on at 7 a.m. with with Gary and Jaime on Saturday and Sunday. So I'll leave the house no later than 3, 3.15 a.m. So that's different. And that usually raises eyebrows and all the rest. So, I'm, I, you know, I got asked a question. So I, I said this last night. And then as I'm saying it, this guy, who, again, very accomplished player, it, he kind of – and he's he sells mortgages now. And he just kind of looked at me, and he, went, and he still went, <laughs> he goes, yeah, but that's not really a job. And I'm like, you know, kind of pushing my potatoes around going, yeah, no, which really not, to be honest with you. So I got to wake up early. Ooh, who doesn't? 
we got a lot to go through with you today. Century Tournament of Champions is we're getting ready to say goodbye to one and say hello to another. The another this week will be the start, the restart of the PGA Tour after the holiday break for 2020 and beyond. We're going to talk about that, the course, the storylines, what was, what might be. And then we're going to touch base with something else today as well. Special guests coming up. Remember yesterday we were talking to you guys about the new world handicap system. What does it mean precisely for everyone? We're going to get into that with an expert a little bit later on in the Fairways of Life show. Stay with us. December 31st, 2019, New Year's Eve, as we carry on after these words. My new book is called The Golf Round. I'll never forget 50 of golf's biggest stars recall their finest moments. Look, we're going into the holiday season. I hope this is the perfect gift for the person in your life that loves the history of the game. History like this, the 1978 Masters. Well, first of all, I'm seven shots behind Tom Watson. And my son says to me, he says, Dad, you're playing so well. If you putt well today, you can shoot 65 and win. Well, it's not easy to shoot 65 at Augusta. Anyway, I'm out in 34 with a bogey. And I come back in 30. I actually touched the hole three times, but thank goodness I didn't because I would have never been invited back to Augusta. The book is called The Golf Round I'll Never Forget. 50 of golf's biggest stars recall their finest moments. I hope you enjoy it. You can pick it up wherever fine books are sold, including barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. FootJoy, the number one outbrand in golf, ensures that you can make every day playable with performance gear to handle any weather condition. All FootJoy products are designed to provide the best golfing experience regardless of the conditions. Every piece of FootJoy gear goes through years of testing and validation to ensure the ultimate in golf performance. Trust the brand that has been number one forever. Learn how you can make every day playable at FootJoy.com slash M-E-D-P. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com and take in all the splendor that is a golf experience unlike any other. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tea times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles, and they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. Tick-borne diseases like Lyme disease, which will have more than 7,000 new cases per week this season, and biting bugs like mosquitoes that could be carrying West Nile virus or even Zika are threats to everyone, but in particular, to golfers stay safe with serious protection from ranger ready repellent i use it because it works it will not stain your clothes it doesn't contain toxic deke and it's available in multiple scents even an option for no scent at all whether you like boating golf gardening hunting whatever you do outdoors protect yourself with ranger ready repellent for more information go to rangerready.com the u.s open Golf's most storied championship returns to the iconic Winged Foot Golf Club. Next June, 
See firsthand the remarkable moments, the energy, the excitement of the 120th U.S. Open Championship. Don't miss your chance to be here next year, June 15th through the 21st, 2020. Tickets on sale now at usopen.com forward slash 2020. Welcome back to Fairways of Life show. December 31st, 2019, Dom's accusing me of lying to the audience because we said we were going to get to uh, Rory McIlroy's 12 years. We're going today. on 12 years of this crap, Matt. Hey, let's yeah. talk. We're going to talk about this thing. Here's a list of things we're going to talk about. Then we never talk about any of them. <laughs> yeah, that's the lament you just heard there. The frustration, the OB growl from Dom is because he puts this every day. Every day he pushes the rock up the hill with the, the rundown. Has all this stuff, has sound. At least you appreciate the it, quality of the heavy lifting I'm doing. <laughs> and if he doesn't have it, in fairness, I would say to him, Don, what's going on? There's no. How come you didn't send me a bunch of stuff I'm not going to talk about? <laughs> right. No. And I'll be like, where is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see something online. Like, like last night I saw a clip of Tiger talking about how he flights his shots. From some clinic somewhere. I don't know. I, I saw it on GolfChannel.com. Or I saw it on, on the Golf Channel app. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Dom will grab that tomorrow. And I open my rundown today, and it's not there. Just pages of useless information, man. So I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? Yeah, it's not like I can't comb the internet and the world of golf for everything that you see. You know how much content there is? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. But you know what? This is a perfect example of what we do and why I have so much fun doing it. The conversation we're having about scoring average and uh, the the layers of talent on the PGA Tour and otherwise was not on my rundown. That's because you're using empirical data to prove – well, to support a theory. I'm not going to say prove because I still think there's a lot of gray. And which is this, that the depths of field today, you got, people can hear this be like, well, that's obvious. The depths of field today are, are so deep and so talented from even 1 to 100, which was the, the confines we're talking about. You go a lot deeper than that if you wanted to compared to back in the day, what I say when, when Giants roamed, the era of, say, Jack Nicklaus, where you had incredible talent at the top of the field, but it went about 20 players deep. Compared to today, you're talking about five or ten times that level, and it all prompt. It was prompted by our conversation about who could in and that 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 FedEx Cup top ten list that I gave you, which is basically nine of those ten are winners already this year and one multiple. All right, let's go down some of these Century Tournament champions. So, Dom, work on that rundown thing when you get a chance. Just expecting a little bit, you know. We're gonna go ahead and need you to come in on Saturday. 2020 Century Tournament of Champions pre-tournament notes. These are these are sent to us week in and week out, as you guys know, uh, via the PGA Tour. They kind of give us a picture, and I'm saying this even out as a reset because this is the first event of 2020. They, they give us a, a reset of what's going on in that particular week. They give us a recounting of how we got to where we are. And then also a, a picture of who's playing and what it all means. Here you go. Xander Shoffley returning to defend his title. He entered the final round of the 2019 event, trailing by five shots before tying the tournament record with the final round of 62, you might remember. 
he that he overtook, and and that was Gary Woodland. And Woodland was playing really well. If you guys recall, he said he'd been working. His ball striking's always been great, but he was working on his putting. FedEx Cup leader Brendan Todd qualified for the event for the first time since 2015. He is seeking his third victory of this wraparound season. Two-time winner Dustin Johnson is making his first start of the 2019-2020 season. Maybe on social media saw some of the clips of DJ hitting shots yesterday, you know, wearing the shorts and the practice rounds and all the rest. I know a lot of people were looking very closely to see what was the driver that DJ was using. Was he using one of the M series from TaylorMade or was he using something else? 15 players in the field are making their, t- and I'm not saying it was something else in terms of not being a TaylorMade. I'm saying it as a glimpse of what we might see in next week for me when I'm at the PGA Tour Superstore Teaching Summit down at Streamsong or in three weeks at the PGA Merchandise Show. So we're going to know a lot more about what's coming in the days that lie ahead. Fifteen players in it. What's the matter, Dom? That you just realize that I'm just looking at. I'm still looking at the stats, and I just saw something that's just mind melting. In uh, I mean, it's it is going to not be a surprise to you or anybody. It's not even a surprise to me. But considering the conversation we just had, it is explosively insane. So we talked about the difference between one to a hundred in scoring average on the PGA Tour being essentially two shots. And about 30 years ago, that number was closer to three shots. In 2000, Tiger's scoring average was two shots better than second place. <laughs> That's wow. That's One of the greatest seasons ever. Absolutely insane. That's insane. <laughs> it is insane. 15 players in the field this week are making their tournament debut, second most since the inaugural year and most since 2013 when 19 players made their debut. Eight members of the victorious United States President's Cup team are in the field. In 12 of the previous 13 seasons in the FedEx Cup era, the winner of the event has gone on to qualify for the Tour Championship. In terms of field notes, seven of the top ten of the FedEx Cup standings are represented in the field, including number one, Brendan Todd, number two, Sebastian Munoz, and number three, Lanto Griffin. 13 of 30 players that qualified for the 2019 Tour Championship are in the field. 13 of the top 50 in the official World Golf Rankings, in three, including three of the top five. John Rahm was number three, Justin Thomas who's number four, and Dustin Johnson who's number five. Did anything I just said to you about those rankings surprise you? I think it may to some. Eight of ten winners during the 2019-2020 season are in the event. Uh, Joaquin Neiman at the Military Tribute at the Greenbrier. Sebastian Munoz at the Sanderson's Farms Championship. Shriners Hospitals for Children Open, which was Kevin Knott. Lanto Griffin at the Houston Open. Cameron Champ, that very inspiring story at the Safeway Open. Justin Thomas at the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges. Brendan Todd in Bermuda and at Mayakoba. Tyler Duncan at the RSM Classic. Four past champions are in the field. Dustin Johnson in 13 and 18. Patrick Reed in 15. Justin Thomas in 17. Xander Shoffley in 19. 15 first-time winners are in the field. Corey Connors, Tyler Duncan, Dylan Fratelli, Lanto Griffin, Max Homa, who I'm sure you've seen the stuff on social media with him reviewing people's reviewing with rabbit ears in the air. Uh, reviewing people's swings, really what he's doing, you're ripping them apart, and it's very funny. Sun Kang, Nate Lashley, Adam Long, Keith Mitchell, Colin Morikawa, Sebastian Munoz, Joaquin Neiman, JT Poston, Martin Trainer, and Matthew 
Wolf. FedEx Cup in Century Tournament of Champions, the 12th event of the 2019-2020 PGA Tour season. Does that surprise you in every way? It's more than 25% of the season is already behind us, believe it or not. The winner has advanced to the Tour Championship, as mentioned, 12 or 13 years during the FedEx Cup era. The only one that didn't do it, in fact, was Daniel Chopra uh, back in 2008. Let's see, each of the last three winners of this event, Justin Thomas in 2017 when he shot the world out, just incredible scoring. Uh, Dustin Johnson 2018, Xander Shoffley in 2019, again with that record round I told you about to finish, went on to finish in the top five in the FedEx Cup standings, which means they were in the mix at the Tour Championship as well. 2017 champion Justin Thomas went on to win that 2017 FedEx Cup uh, as well, I went through for you with the standings of the FedEx Cup earlier in the program, the top 10, which I think may have surprised some people as well. But let's first take a look back at what happened here in 2019 at the Century Tournament of Champions. Uh, Xander Shoffley entered the final round five shots back at Gary Woodland, as you remember. He opened with a bogey. You're like, oh, OK, Gary Cruz, man. Shoffley recorded two eagles and nine birdies over the last 17 holes. Thank you very much. He tied the course record 11 under 62, and he beat Woodland by one shot for a second consecutive victory. He had won the 2018 World Golf Championships, HSBC champions as well. It marked his fourth career PGA Tour victory and fourth time coming from behind for victory. Shoffley went on to a career-best second-place finish in the FedEx Cup following his victory at the Century Tournament Champions. Woodland held the 36-hole lead, three shots and 54-hole lead shot, three shots, uh, but he did fail to convert, obviously, to victory, as just noted there. In terms of player notes this year, 2013-2018 winner, DJ, he's making his season debut. He's recorded seven consecutive top tens at this event. John Rahm, Top-ranked player in the field in the official World Golf Ranking, as we noted before, of number three. He's finished in the top ten in each of his first two appearances at the event. He was second in 2018. He was eighth in 2019. Justin Thomas won it in 2017 in record fashion. He had a third-place finish in 2019. Four starts at the event. He enters as number five in FedEx Cup points right now. Tyler Duncan is in search of his second consecutive win. Remember, he won that RSM Classic just before the break for Thanksgiving. Kevin Na qualified for victory at the Charles Schwab Cup Challenge. He's set to make his first start in the event since 2012. Na withdrew minutes before his tee time in 2019 due to an injury. Ricky Fowler has never finished outside of the top six in three career appearances at the Century Tournament of Champions. He was tied for sixth in 13, tied for fifth in 16, tied for fourth in 18. So just a quick little look at what's going on at the Century Tournament of Champions coming up this week. And I will go over for you the airtimes in just a little while as well. Now, there is something coming around the corner for many, and we wanted to get an opportunity to talk to you guys about it, really kind of educate us and you about what is happening with it. And this is the New World Handicap System, Managing Director of Handicapping and Course Rating for the USGA. Steve Edmondson is joining us right now. Steve, how are you? Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Matt. How are you? Doing well. Thank you very much. Okay, so this new world handicap system, I guess the first question I would have for you is, why do we have a new system coming in? What was the objective? Uh, Great question, Matt. Uh, New system really is in response to we've had a single set of rules since 1952, uh, same way that we do amateur status, uh, single set of rules for equipment standards, the 
really the missing link was handicapping. Why would we have six different ways that we measure a golfer's ability level? Um, and that was really the um, uh, the driving force behind this is to have a single level of, or single measure of, of a golfer's ability worldwide. All right, so the new world handicap system, Steve, how would you define it? Um, it really is trying to do what the existing handicap systems did before, but it's a single system that will be used worldwide by every by every country. So everybody will have the same measurements um, in, in, the, in the same way that we, we try to uh, obtain equity worldwide when, when we compete against each other or have a friendly game. From the standpoint of the existing system, now I'm talking primarily to people that are listening to us, say, in the United States. How will the current system and the new world handicap system differ? Yeah, that, that's really the question, uh, Matt. And, and, and really, there's not a country around the world that's not going to experience some change. I would say in the U.S. that we're fortunate. Um, the world handicap system is modeled off the USJ's course rating system. Uh, that we have in use today, and it's pretty much used uh, throughout the world. Um, but it's also modeled primarily around the USJ handicap system, that being an average-based system. Um, however, uh, to your question, there will be some changes, and some of those changes will be significant. Every golfer should expect to have their handicap index change slightly uh, by that first week in January, uh, maybe a tenth, two-tenths of a stroke. Uh, the, the real reason behind that is, the number of scores that we're counting now to determine your demonstrated ability is the best eight of your 20 scores. Uh, again, what we're trying to do, uh, identify is your, 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 your potential or your best playing ability. Uh, that's what a handicap system uh, aims to do. And by looking at your eight of 20 versus 10 of 20, um, we're being more responsive to good scores, Matt, and slightly less responsive to bad scores. So it's a better indicator, especially if you're more, consistent player which is what we're looking to reward um that's that's one of the the, the biggest changes and there's some other changes along the way that uh, that we're talking about as well all right so when you said that, when we're talking about the changes that are coming or or revisions in the in the individual handicap indexes etc are you guys at a point right now where you're taking all the data that currently exists in the handicap system, say the USGA's handicap system, the GIN system, and you're running that through your computers, and on some date in the very near future, Steve, there's going to be a new index release for everybody. Did I did I encapsulate that correctly, or could you fill in any blanks? Yeah, that's actually perfectly said. Um, the first of January, uh, Matt, we're we'll be taking the the centralized system down, and I say the centralized system. We have a system, a, a technology platform today that's used by most everyone in the United States, but not everyone. Uh, come that first week of January, we'll be done with this transition by January uh, 6th. So the night of Jan- uh, January 5th, uh, we'll turn everything back on. But everybody will have their handicap index calculated using the same system. So a true centralized system in the United States, really uh, allowing true portability everywhere. So that's happening. It's about a five-day period to make sure any other handicapping platform that was used is all onboarding their, their golfer scores, et cetera. And we're running everything through the WHS algorithm. So that's taking place that first week in uh, January, January 6th being the Monday is when it really kicks off where everyone will see their new handicap index um, and really begin using the, the, the WHS in the United States. 
All right, Steve, let me let me give you a scenario and see how this scenario may be altered based upon what you're doing with the new world handicap system. So uh, as, as you probably know, I, I take groups of listeners to different places around the world with me just to say thank you. We go on these really different cool trips. So we go over to Ireland. This was a couple of years ago. It was a Ryder Cup year. So this was, this was a couple of years ago. And we set up a match against one of my clubs over there. And so I've got. I forget. I think we had we designated uh, it was 24 and 24, not 12 and 12 because the groups were so big. So we designated these the two teams to go against each other. And the American golfers were carrying their handicap. The Irish golfers were carrying their handicap. And what we found almost universally. Now, some of this is going to be impacted by the fact that we're playing their course in fairness. But just uh, just in generalized terms, broad brushing here. The, say, nine handicap in Ireland was a better player than the nine handicap in the United States. And nobody was trying to fool with their handicap. They were, they were abiding by the way that their, their respective systems worked. From that standpoint, is that, is that kind of a normal scenario in, under the old way that things went? And uh, in, in how would that be altered on the new world handicap system, say? Yeah, Matt. I think that's exactly right. I think I think that would be the average. Obviously, we, you know, the averages don't always come to fruition. But uh, uh, the UK or the European player would have had an easier time playing with their handicap than a player from the from the from the states. Uh, so what you experience is what other people would have experienced as well. Now that's not always the case. Sometimes the uh, the lower handicap, more elite player you are, they might have had a more challenging time, and I can explain why in a, in a moment. But the great thing about this is now. And when we talked a little bit about why are we doing this to your first question, really because the game's a lot more global. What you are doing is what a lot of people do is is to organize these trips and sometimes have these friendly matches against other people. Um, That will be fair come, well, actually come 2020. Uh, Matt, I I should let you and your listeners know that everybody is not becoming effective in January 2020. Uh, Some because of uh, because of seasonality, uh, because of trying to get other things ready, uh, still some courses to finish rating or whatnot. They may come on board of March of 20. They may come on board of June of 20 because of seasonality. So there will be different times throughout the year where each country comes on board, but throughout 2020, everyone will be coming on to WHS. Oh, okay, cool. Very cool. All right. So uh, in terms of people understanding this, because you you know how it is with golf, you know it better than anybody that that you're going to have people that are looking at this thing in great detail because that's what they love about the game of golf and everything that's associated with it. Where do we send people for more information on everything that you guys are doing? Uh, Definitely send them to usga.org forward slash WHF. We've got some great uh, content on the website explaining uh, anything from a very digestible read to like the top five changes that everyone should be thinking about to a more comprehensive read if, if, if they're so interested. Are you excited, Steve, about what you guys are about to introduce to the world? <laughs> Matt, we are. This this has been an initiative that began eight years ago. And for some, that may seem, you know, why did it take so long? But as you can imagine, people were giving up something that they had decades or for the U.S., 100 years of experience in handicapping. So, uh, you know, everyone had to come together, and we did. You know, beginning in 2012, everyone thought this initiative would be good for the game and is the right thing to do. It just took time because we were coming from completely different golfing cultures. We all, the game's the same, but we do have different golfing cultures, as, as you alluded earlier, that, that we come from. 
Uh, so to work through those changes uh, really did take some time. And technology, golf courses to rate, et cetera, et cetera, eight years went by very quickly. But uh, to your question, we can't be more excited. We think this is going to be great for golfers in the U.S. as well as golfers in uh, uh, Germany or any other parts of the world. USGA.org for more information on everything that Steve has discussed with us, plus so much more that you can find out about, including if you want to brush up on the rules of golf, which were started, uh, the new rules of golf, revised uh, last year to get ready for the season that lies before you in 2020. Steve, I wish you uh, great success in 2020, a happy new year. Thank you for your efforts with what you've done with the new World Handicap System and for joining us this morning. All right. Thank you, man. Happy New Year. and Thanks for having me on your show. Always a pleasure. That was uh, Steve Edmondson, the Managing Director of Handicapping and Course Rating for the United States Golf Association. You're going to hear in the upcoming break more details about Ben Hogan Golf. Just log on to Ben Hogan Golf today, and you can check out all of the wonderful product there and have the great and iconic name of Ben Hogan on the clubs that you play at your respective course. Don't forget, too, Pinehurst.com is one of the most special places for the game of golf any place in the world, and a great hang for the game of golf in the United States with all of their classic courses. You can just log on to Pinehurst.com for more information on everything that they have to offer and when we come back i will not lie to you rory mcelroy's interview before we wrap it up stay with us hey my new book is called the golf round i'll never forget 50 of golf's biggest stars recall their finest moments moments like this the 1973 u.s open here's johnny miller he got a letter also on saturday morning and said you're gonna win the u.s open from some guy in iowa and i never got a letter that that's all it was it didn't sign it nothing it was just from Iowa, you're going to win the U.S. Open. So it was sort of an interesting experiences that led up to that uh, winning that Open. Uh, and, and the round itself was sort of out of nowhere because it just was a, it was a perfect round of golf. I mean, it literally was a perfect round of golf. The book is called The Golf Round. I'll never forget. 50 of golf's biggest stars recall their finest moments. I hope you enjoy it. You can pick it up wherever fine books are sold, including barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link-style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Doak, Bill Kaur, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com. FootJoy, the number one outer brand in golf, ensures that you can make everyday playable with rain jackets for all weather conditions. New to the FJ Performance Outwear lineup this year is the all-new DryJoy Select LS, the lightest, most waterproof garment FJ has ever produced, setting a new standard in rainwear. Amazingly, it's actually lighter than a golf shirt, but still fully waterproof. You can shop now at FootJoy.com slash M-E-D-P. BenHoganGolf.com is where you can go to see the beautiful product that's being produced right now, bearing the name of the legend. You know, when he founded the original company in 1953, Ben Hogan said he did it, quote, to design and manufacture the best golf clubs in the world, end quote, and that is exactly what their mantra is today. Only it's going directly to you, not through retail stores, so they're saving that 40%, 50% retail markup. You can get the best, and you can get it directly from their master craftsmen. Log on to BenHoganGolf.com now. 
If you're a golfer or enjoy activities outside, you are at risk. The risk of Lyme disease and other illnesses are a national threat. Add in insect-borne illnesses like West Nile and Zika. Ranger Ready is insect repellent that's serious protection with premium wearable scents and clean, non-greasy formula. Ranger Ready is the best insect repellent available, period. Safe, 12-hour protection, nothing comes close. Log on to rangerready.com for more information. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. All right, so the air times for the Century Tournament of Champions this week. Thursday and Friday at 6 p.m. We have obviously have it for you on Golf Channel. Saturday at 4 p.m. on NBC and 6 p.m. on Golf Channel. Sunday at 6 p.m. on, wait for it, just NBC. So bottom line, however you slice it, golf in prime time for the next few weeks. How cool is this? PGA Tour Radio, which you can hear on PGATour.com. You can hear it in the PGA Tour app as well. Thursday and Friday at 4 p.m., Saturday at 3 p.m., Sunday at 5 p.m. All these times are Eastern time. So we're promising you guys that we had this interview from Rory McIlroy. It was conducted by ITV, which you're going to hear the, the, the host, the presenter, is named Ruth Gorman, so you're going to hear the accents and all the rest. But what you're going to hear is some real depth from Rory McIlroy. He built the gym at his old club, the Hollywood Golf Club, and when he did the interview, he was kind of promoting people that, hey, it's a great place to hang out, it's a great place to be, you know, come on out here and, and learn the game and all the rest. And this is the Rory McIlroy that hasn't forgotten his roots and gives back. But it's a long interview. It's over 12 minutes. And so they're getting into all of this real content. Here it is. You guys have a great one. Happy New Year, one and all. Well, he's not home very often, but I'm delighted to say that Rory McIlroy's feet have touched the ground and he's back (laughs) where it all began at Hollywood Golf Club. Yes. Rory, nice to be home. Uh, Lovely to be home. Yeah, it's always nice to get back, even if it's just for for a short while. How proud are you of what you've done? You've transformed this place. Yeah, um, yeah, we're trying. You know, I, Hollywood Golf Club's been a, a very uh, important part of my life. Um, you know, I keep saying, if, if you couldn't find me at home or at school, I was usually here. And usually was probably here when I should have been at school. <laughs> um, but yeah, I spent so much time here and, and have so many fond memories. Uh, and when the club approached me a couple of years ago about doing something like this, uh, I was fully on board because I thought, okay, if I was a junior again growing up here, what would I want or what would I need that, that could help me, but, but also something just good for the, the community and the club and um, you know, help, help the club you know, get a bit, you know, separate themselves from you know, the rest of the golf clubs around here. They definitely have a, um, you know, it's, it's different. You know, it's got the gym, it's got the simulators downstairs. It's, it's, got, it's a little bit more than a golf club now, which, I, which was sort of the, uh, the goal at the start. It's not just going to be for, for the locals either. You're going to open overseas, overseas members? Yeah, so I think one of the, the plans was, was okay, how can we 
you know, how can we reach more people with this? And um, so, yeah, we're going to offer an overseas membership and people are going to be able to say that they're members of, of Hollywood Golf Club and obviously avail of the facilities when they're here. But then what that also, and I didn't realize this at the time, but um, a very small percentage of golfers actually have handicaps. And a handicap is a great thing in golf because it means that you can play with people from all different sorts of, of, of levels. Um, you know, there's some golf courses that you can't get on without a handicap certificate. So, you know, to be able to provide a membership for overseas members and they get a handicap with it, um, I think it just opens the possibilities of, uh, of what you can do within, within the game of golf. So, you know, we're, we're excited about that as well. It's the end of the year. You can look back very fondly on 2019. Four wins, 19 top 10s, Tour Player of the Year and FedEx Cup winner, last but not least. So what has pleased you most about this year? Yeah, I think the um, I think the consistency, you know, to be able to, to you know, I finished in the top ten 19 times, and and the four wins have been obviously really really nice. I think just the, you know, I've kept my game at a, a very similar level most of the year. Um, you know, there's been a few dips in there, but for the most point, it's it's been really really positive and um, a level of consistency that I haven't had before. Which is, you know, I think there's a there's a number of different reasons for that. I, I think I'm I'm taking maybe the mental side of the game a little uh, more seriously than I used to. Uh, I have a, you know, I have a base. We moved into our new house in in Florida, and I feel very settled. And I think because of that feeling, I'm able to, you know, go out and play uh, play great golf and and I guess worry less and and you know there's less moving parts I guess. So. Um, yeah, it's it's been a really good year. Uh, you know, winning the FedEx again was huge. Winning the Players Championship, a, a tournament that I've never won before. Uh, you know, all all great things. While working on that mental side, what have you learned about yourself on and off the course? Yeah, I think um, I think my, my my thing is I've always needed to find the balance. Um, I've always said I'm like two different people on the golf course, off the golf course. But I think there you can find that balance where you can still be the one person, but find you know be the you know, try to be a compassionate person off the golf course, but be that competitor on it. And it's, yeah, it's trying to find that balance and trying to strike, you know, you don't, I don't think you want to be too passive on the golf course, but at the same time, I think being ultra aggressive and competitive on the golf course has sometimes worked against me as well. So we're just trying to find that blend um, and, and setting goals and, and really not, not, not becoming complacent. And, and, you know, a lot of those things that, you know, people say, and you know, it's sort of cliche, but you know, if you really focus on them, and um, you know, it can make a big difference. You've improved on the mental side. Your your putting has improved. What do you want to improve on next year? Uh, everything again. I think. Um, I think if if I had one criticism of myself this year, like looking at the bigger tournaments, I had slow starts. So, you know, instead of that, maybe seventy one or seventy two to start. You know, try and turn that into you know. A 67 or 68 and just try and really if I can start better and get myself in the golf tournament um I always seem to stay there you know you look historically back at my the way I've I don't want to put pressure on myself to start well but you know historically when I have started well I've I've been able to capitalize on those starts so I think that's but that again is more sort of getting out of my own way going and playing golf playing with freedom um and you know the more I played this year the more I got comfortable doing that You've said you, you keep a journal, you document how you feel when you're playing golf. What did you write down after Portrush? Was it, and was it hard to, to read it back? Uh, no, I, I mean, not really because, you know, I use all these things as motivation. So, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, 
get it out and just sort of read back. And I actually, after this season, I, I got the journal out and I read back what I said to myself after the Open, but also the goals that I wrote down for the rest of the year. You know, that, that was the major season over, but I still had, um, I probably still had, you know, eight or 10 tournaments left. Uh, so I set myself some goals. One of the goals was, you know, I was still in a good position to win the FedEx Cup when I was able to do that, um, was to improve my world ranking to, to around 10 points, and I've been able to do that. Um, there was a couple other little things in there, mental things. Uh, I want to try and eat better, you know, just stuff that's, you know, I, I, I think in the middle of the season you can sort of, as I said, you can get complacent and just fall away a little bit and not be as disciplined. So just get a little more discipline in there and um yeah every, like literally every every goal that I set myself for the rest of the year after Port Rush I've been able to achieve which is which is pretty nice to be able to say that so it really was a turning point not just in the year but I think going forward and, and learning what works for me and you know I know if I had that first day back at Port Rush I would do things a little differently and I know that you know the outcome would be different as well. I think it was the first time people maybe saw that emotional side of you. It was Rory the person, not just Rory the golfer. Yeah. You seem to gain a lot of, of, of new fans through that as well. You know, I, um, you know, I think traveling the world and, you know, I, I don't get to play a lot at home and I don't, you know, I don't get to spend that much time at home. So traveling the world, you sort of lose, not the connection, you know, you, you always remember where you're from, but, I don't think you quite understand sometimes, or I definitely didn't understand what I meant to people from here. And I, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, I understood what they meant to me. And it was just this really, it was, it was a weird time for it to happen, right? I think it's very easy for people to support you when you're doing well. I think it's harder to, you know, for people to, to get on board when you're struggling. And the fact that I felt this massive embrace from basically the whole country that they rallied behind me and, you know, I, I got I got really emotional that day, and you know, I, I was trying to explain it to someone earlier today. I did another interview, and I started the well up, and I'm like, "Geez, I'm sorry," <laughs> but it's it it meant a lot to me, and to know that you know, so many people in this country support me and support me wherever I am. Um, I'd sort of forgotten that, I think, a little bit, and it it really it meant a lot to me. Well, it looks like you won't have long to wait to get another opportunity because there's talk of it coming back in 2025 yeah so you wouldn't have too long to wait to, to get another chance no 2025 i'll still be hopefully in the the prime of my career i'll be 36 um yeah I've, i feel like i've still got a good 10 or 15 years in me so um i'd love another chance that i know you know I'll, I'll definitely have learned from from what happened then and um you know hopefully the outcome can be a little different how's your approach to majors changed and what is your thinking going into to a fresh year of majors yeah you know it's 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 hard it's like you know we play between 20 and 25 events a year and four of those are the you know are the the big four of the majors and it's you know sometimes it's it's hard to to sort of really pinpoint okay i'm gonna try to peak for here or peak for there you know, golf is a very inexact you know, science you know one day you could wake up and just not feel right or there's a lot of different things that go on but um I think my approach, and as I said earlier, just about the fast, you know, the starts, if I can just get out of my own way and try to, you know, almost feel like I'm chasing from the start. You know, I think that's, you know, sometimes I first round's a little conservative, make a lot of pars, throw in, in the odd birdie, the odd boogie. But, you know, you look at the leaderboard and someone's six or seven under par and all of a sudden 
you're trying to claw your way back into the tournament. So I think just getting off to those fast starts and sort of just getting out of my own way and just saying, okay, you know, I'm going to go for it from the start. You know, I, uh, you know, one of my favorite sports people of all time is Roger Federer. And I look to him and I look at all the stuff that he's, he's achieved in his, in his career. And you watch him play tennis and he takes chances and he cuts the point short and he goes for it. And he's not afraid to fail. And I think if there's one thing I can learn from from him, it's it's that, you know, if you're not gonna if if you're not gonna try your 100, percent then you're you're afraid to you know of what might happen. So try to play without consequence and and go out there and um, if you feel that's fine. Like I I think I've you know, going back to Portrush. If that's the worst thing that can happen, it's no big deal. So I'm really gonna go for it and try to play as freely as possible and if I can do that you know I know I'll start winning majors again pretty soon the Masters is first up it's always talked about and you're always the name linked to it because of what's on the line but you have said that if you win it you won't take that green jacket off for a year no probably not (laughs) um yeah someone will have to have to to try and get it off me um like yeah it's a massive goal of mine and and you know I've, I've achieved a lot in the game and I'm you know I'm you know, it's it's been a great run so far, but I still think I've got so much more to to do. Uh, and yeah, that's the one thing that's I, you know, and I don't want to make as big a deal of it because the more I make a deal of it, the more it's just going to become bigger and bigger. But um, yeah, look, it's the one thing that I've left to achieve in in my career, really. Um, you know, and but there's more. You know, if I win that, it's not as if I'm just going to stop. There's still more and more I can do. And, you know, you win something once, you want to win it twice, and you want to win it three times. And so, you know, I'm I'm not just looking to that. I'm looking, you know, down the road as well. And um, but yeah, you know, it's been, it's been. It feels like a long time since you know I've I've stood in that uh, winner's circle in in the majors. And um, you know, I think next year, you know, hopefully I'll give myself a few chances and and try to pick one off. With that in mind, just you've had a, a decade as a pro golfers in their 30s have have been renowned to be very successful and have that sort of peak of their career do you feel your best days are ahead of you I do yeah I think I've matured as a person and I think one of you know I think more than any a lot of sports but definitely golf where you know sometimes you are your own worst enemy um to 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 sort of have it all together a little bit and 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 you know know yourself better and you have so many experiences and you mature and you know I think that's a big part of of being a good golfer and you know turning 30 this year and sort of getting to a stage in my life where I feel everything is settled um I think it can only make me a better golfer and and you know all these experiences that I've had you know and if I can learn from each and every one of them you know there's no reason why you know I keep saying this why these next 10 years can't be better than the 10 I've just had and the 10 I've just had have been pretty good but I, I really do think that you know I've, I've still got a lot to achieve in the game. Well, we wish you very well. Just one final question, Rory. Are you the hardest man to buy a Christmas present for? It's probably a question for Erica. Uh, and she would say yes. <laughs> but she's pretty difficult too. You've got to think outside the box. But uh, I am. I don't, you know, I, I expect nothing. And I, I realize that I am very hard to buy for. So I appreciate whatever it is.